want to make an announcement for this weekend at our church. We're having what we call an equip weekend. It begins Friday night with a um, message by a doctor full of love from seminary in Atlanta. And Dr. Full of Love is an Old Testament professor. And the message uh, is going to be starting on Friday night about the church in exile. Now, the idea is from the book of, uh, I think it's Ezekiel or Jeremiah, that at the time that Israel was in exile there, the prophet told them certain things of the way they were to act because they were the minority culture. And that idea is going to be presented Friday night to us as Christians in our culture, that we're no longer the majority culture, we're the minority culture. And because of that, how as Christians we should live in that context. I don't think we have anyone that's in the hospital, um, so I don't, again, if you know people, please let me know. And then if you'll turn to Romans chapter 1, we're talking about true spirituality, and I would like us to look at verses 16 and 17 uh, that have to do with the gospel. And so let me pray for our meal. Father, we're thankful for all your goodness to us. We're thankful for the way you care for us each and every day. We know that your mercies are new every morning. You have underneath us your everlasting arms. You know the plans that you have for us that are for good and not for evil. And because of that, we have hope and a future. And we know that they're all consummated in Christ Jesus. And we know he is seated at your right hand so that everything is victorious and secure in Christ. Now, as we live in this fallen world, you call us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And we pray that you would help us to be that. Now, use this passage of scripture that we look at today to that end that we would live as faithful followers of Christ Jesus. And we pray in his name with thanksgiving. Amen. Paul says in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live, or the righteous shall live by faith. Now when we look at this, we're talking about the power of God for salvation. And this power of God for salvation is for everyone who believes. It doesn't matter whether you're a child or whether you're an adult. If you're a believer, it doesn't matter whether you're highly educated. He's going to say here it's for the... Uh, barbarians and it's for the Greeks. That would be the wise and the unwise. So Paul uses all manner of elaboration to tell us that the power of God in the gospel is for every person who believes indiscriminately. The call upon us is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and in doing that we know that the power of God 
comes and flows into us. Now, we see it here as the power of God for salvation. So we look at this and we think just with first blush, well, this is about becoming a Christian. And so a lot of times these verses are used narrowly in that way. And, of course, it's true. You know, here's, again, a young person, and they come in contact with the gospel. Uh, They are hearing about the gospel of God, as he calls it in the earlier part of this chapter. It's the gospel of God, God's good news concerning his son, Jesus Christ. Now, when this happens in the person, young, old, male, female, rich, poor, actually hears the message, it is penetrating into their heart and into their mind. There are basically two things that happen immediately. One of those two things is they know they're dead. They know immediately that they're under the wrath of God because when a person first appreciates the gospel, it tells them of the wrath of God that abides upon them because of their sin. And if if they're in any way a sane person, they're hearing this, they know that the wages of those sins is death. Now, when this happens in a saving way, something else is happening simultaneously. And that simultaneous event is that they come to say, Yes, I'm dead, but Jesus is alive. And with Jesus being alive, I know that the power of God rests in Jesus. And if Jesus has made promises, then the promises of Jesus are powerfully true. And so the person knowing they're dead in their sins knows that in Christ who is alive, if they'll put their faith in him that he, Jesus Christ, is going to do all those things that we call forgiveness in granting to that person eternal life. And so you see the power of God coming in, and we, we can, again, look at a lot of different ways Paul speaks of this. One of those in Colossians chapter 1, Paul says we're to give thanks to the Father because... He has transferred us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. The book of Ephesians has a couple little words added on to that idea. Into the kingdom of his dear son in which we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins through his blood. And so what ends up, we're told, is The person who believes is a person whom God has reached down and taken hold of and transferred them. Now, we don't transfer ourselves, but the power of God working through the Holy Spirit takes us, transfers us out of the dominion of darkness, out of the dominion of Satan, and places us into the kingdom of God's dear son. This is all the work of God. It's acted upon us, and it is received by us by faith alone. 
So how do we know that this has occurred? Well, one of the first things we say is, we really believe this message. We believe what the gospel is telling us about Jesus Christ. Well, you know, here you are. You're here today. You're surrounded with a group of people. The bulk of everybody here is probably going to say, Amen, Brother John, that's the way it is. You do this, and you know that that means that, uh, that God has delivered you. All right, but what about all these friends that you know that aren't here today, and they're not going to be anywhere on Sunday. They're going to be wherever they want on Sunday because, well, they've heard the same message that you've heard. But God hasn't reached down and delivered them. God hasn't then delivered them, transferred them, and placed them in the kingdom of dear, God's dear son. They have listened, but they haven't heard. And we say, well, this is the way things are. We want to share with these people, and we should be sharing with these people. I mean, I can tell you, I, I can remember as an infant in the Memorial Presbyterian Church, West Palm Beach, Florida, all the things they did, the, the pastor's wife had written a book about evangelizing children. My mother was faithful in that book. I can remember going to John Knox Presbyterian Church, Orlando, Florida. Came home from a Sunday school class on Sunday. I told my parents, my brother's name's Ralph. I said, I don't know who he is, but I'm John 316. No one had said anything about Ralph 316, so I didn't know who he was. But I was John 316. Now, I can remember saying that. But I can remember all the things that I did all that time after high school in the Marine Corps until a point in time when God grabbed a hold of me. And when he grabbed a hold of me, you know, I, I, I can just honestly tell you, I wasn't reaching out for him when he grabbed hold of me. He delivered me and transferred me into the kingdom of his dear son. I was given the ability to hear. That's the power of God unto salvation. This is what the gospel is initially in our lives. But this gospel, we've got to understand it. When it says here this language in this verse, it is the power of God for salvation some people look at it and say it's the gospel that's the power of God for salvation. And they get caught up in thinking that the power is in the recitation of the words. So where the power is in their mind is we just need to tell the people maybe the Roman road. Or we need to tell them the evangelism explosion outline. Or we need to tell them the four spiritual laws, that there's power in that. Well, there is power, but the power comes because of the person. That's the key. When it's saying here that the gospel is the power of God, 
it's talking about it in the same way that it's talked about in verse 1. It's the gospel of God. It's the gospel concerning his son. The gospel is the son being presented to other people. And it's the son in whom is the power. And so when we talk about the gospel of God, this is a manner and a way of expressing that it's Jesus who saves us. Over and over again, the language that we need to see is it's the power of God working personally and working directly in our lives. Again, we see it in verse 4, that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So you have this word again, power. It's the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's the power of God. It's the power that was worked in the dead physical body of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. It's much in the same way the power of the Holy Spirit. And when it says of the, to the Virgin Mary, and this Holy Spirit will come upon you in the power of God will overshadow you and therefore that child that will be born of you will be called holy the son of God. So you see here when we talk about the gospel being the power of God we're talking about Jesus working in our lives as the power of God to transform us. The power of God makes Jesus' dead body alive. The power of God makes our spiritually dead soul or nature alive. This is the power of God. So when we talk about it, we need to understand that this business of speaking of the gospel as the power of God is to talk about Jesus himself being that power. Now, the third thing I'd want us to see is, and I'm basically staying with this idea, it's the power of God for those who believe, is that the power of Jesus is going to work continuously, nonstop, even when you're asleep, if you're in a coma, the power of God is going to be working in your life from the point of time of your believing from now, now look out into the future. Some of you don't think you have long to live, but that's just kind of crazy thinking. You're going to live for eternity, <laughs> okay? You're going to live for eternity. So don't get short-sighted. And the power of the resurrected Jesus is going to work in you now until eternity. That's what we mean here when we're talking about salvation. Salvation, is, as Paul says, if we are only saved in this life, then we are of all men to be pitied. That's not what we're talking about here. 
the power of God for salvation begins for us personally when we believe, but it now is sustaining us. Jesus is sustaining us through all eternity. So we read the scriptures about the Holy Spirit, and we say that the Holy Spirit is constantly working in us. This is the power and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I'm going to send you another comforter. He is going to be with you for how long? Forever. And he is going to do various things in you. Now, when we look in some of the uh, definitions of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, especially in the epistles of Paul, he is called the dunamis of God. The power, the dynamite, that was the most powerful physical form of, of human expression of power that mankind knew at the time of the writing of the New Testament. And the Holy Spirit is the power of God, and that power of the risen Jesus Christ is working in us constantly. Now, we read the scriptures. Now, when we read the scriptures, what is actually going on for us as a believer? Well, what is happening is something like this. The Holy Spirit that powerfully worked, now pick your author, you want to call it Moses? Moses, first five books of the Bible. You want to go to Jeremiah, Lamentations, some of the prophets. You want to go to the Psalms, you want to go to one of the Gospels, you want to go to one of the Epistles. We're told all Scripture is inspired. God breathed. All Scripture has been inspired by the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit, who worked powerfully to inspire, as we as believers are reading, the Holy Spirit is working powerfully to illuminate. To illuminate is basically to cast a light on our life, to cast a light on the, the words that we're reading, to connect the dots between what Jesus was teaching by his presence or what the apostle were teaching under the presence of the Holy Spirit working in their lives, but to illuminate that so that the rubber of the scripture meets the road of our life and all that Jesus came to accomplish for us, the Holy Spirit is in the process of accomplishing those things in us to make us more like Christ. So, there is the illumination of the reader. We see in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is inspired. It's profitable for instruction. So from time to time as you're reading the scripture, there is this powerful instruction that grips your life. Last night, we're at Joe Timberlake's home. Peggy was hosting it. We had one lady from the Hepzibah Children's Home we had one lady who is a single missionary, and then we had the wife of a pastor from Rock Hill, South Carolina, and they were all talking about human trafficking. Now, what in the world? Here are three women. I, 
you know, maybe I should change the metaphor. Maybe I shouldn't call them women. Maybe I should call them ladies. But whatever, however you want to cast this, do you know that each one of them has a separate burden about the same thing? You see that? In other words, as these women have been reading the scripture that was inspired by the Holy Spirit, it comes to them something about the dignity of childhood and the dignity of a person being created in the image of God. And they see what's being done in our own culture, the exploitation of young girls and to some degree young boys. They, the ladies, all three of them, basically said this. I can't walk away from it. I can't walk away from this. One lady has taken people to the Ukraine. She's taken people to Bangkok, Thailand. She's taken them two or three different places around the world. They've walked into what, you know, you just can't even understand this, but in, in one part of the world it's karaoke bars. Who's in them? A bunch of Western men, primarily average age 60 years of age, and girls that are barely teenagers. These women are taking women just like you women on trips so that you can actually see this with your own eyes. I won't go into all the things they told us last night. But you see, this is the power of God for salvation. And it's gripped these women's lives. Now, of course, they're sharing the burden with the intent and hope that it's going to grip some of our lives. And guess what they're saying? You can follow the traffic routes of drugs. You can follow the traffic light, traffic routes of child exploitation. This is a sad thing. And you can follow the major truck routes in the United States and lay them one on top of the other without hardly any deviation. And they call Interstate 75 the main street of human trafficking in the eastern United States. And Georgia is number two in the nation. Now, illumination is the powerful work of the Holy Spirit that grips somebody's lives like those three women. Began with the scripture, it works in them. Now, the power of the God of Jesus Christ working continuously works in us by the Holy Spirit to bring instruction, correction, training in righteousness. By the Holy Spirit, we're made perfectly adequate for any good and every good work God calls us to do. God called them to do something. What are we told happens to us when we become a Christian? We're given each and every one of us what? 
a spiritual gift. And what are we to do with that? We're to allow the power to work through us that we would take our gift. And I think this is a lot of what Jesus meant when he said, you need to take your light, your light, not my light. (laughs) And please don't go telling me how my light needs to shine. You need to worry about how your light's going to shine. You're going to be your salt. And I'm going to be my salt, but if we're all light and we're all salt the way we're intended to be, we're going to cover the map with God's power working in and through us. So we pray. You know when we pray. We read the scripture now when we pray. The Holy Spirit, we are told, intercedes with our prayers powerfully in our groanings in order that the things that we are praying are effectively uh, manifested at the throne of God. The Holy Spirit works in us in that way. We, We pray to God to lead our lives, and as we pray for God to lead our lives, the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ, moves us wherever he wills for his glory. Now, the other thing that we're told here is that as we come to the end of this epistle, Paul says this in chapter 12, okay? You understand how Jesus now works in the lives of you. Present your bodies. Similar to the gifts that he gives us is that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God. It's only reasonable, given what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, we are to to present our bodies in that way. Now, when we present our bodies to God in such a way, the Holy Spirit is working powerfully within us to overcome the fleshliness, the self-interest issues, the interests that would be more in tune with the things of the world. You remember how he says in the next verse, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, the Holy Spirit, this is a part of the power of God for yours in mind salvation. What is it we're told in Hebrews is the singular uh, demonstration of, of our cleansing by the high priestly work of Christ. Well, he says that your conscience is cleansed from dead works so that you can serve the living God. This is very analogous to what Paul's saying here. We have had all of this stuff in Romans 1 through 11 accomplished in us and for us. Now, what is incumbent upon us is that we would present ourselves as living sacrifices. And as we do that, we find, again, through prayer, through scripture, we are transformed by it, and we're not conformed to this world. You know, a couple things that just come to mind when Pat and I were 
running men's dormitories in Jackson, Mississippi, and starting our denominational campus ministry, Reform University Ministries. Sweet little girl from uh, Fort Lauderdale showed up at the dormitory, and she was brokenhearted. One of the boys who's I told her, I said, you took that boy and you let him light a match and you let him hold it real close to your heart, didn't you? She said, yeah. Got a scar there now, don't you? She said, yeah. I said, how many other boys are in the background before you got here? She said, well, one or two. I said, scars there too? She said, yeah. I said, you know, somewhere out there, I'll bet you there's the right guy, don't you? She says, hope so. This would be a good idea if you did spiritual surgery on all three of those scars before he showed up. (laughs) So Pat and I and little Melanie worked on spiritual surgery. You know, that was the power of God's salvation in that little girl's life. She never forgot it. She showed up at our door up there at Milledgeville. She had just been on James Dobson's Focus on the Family for a two one-day stints on that program. Why was little Melanie there? She had started a group in Georgia called Georgia Nurses for Life. And guess what? Dobson liked it so much, Focus on the Family liked it so much that they wanted to uh, franchise it in other states. One girl presented her body, a living sacrifice. Just go right down Vineville Avenue to Strong Tower. Look at Tom Anderson. He and Sarah made themselves a living sacrifice. Building next door, Robin Crosby has made herself a living sacrifice. We go around making, but all of these places are demonstrations of the power of God for salvation in people's lives. It's ongoing. It's not that you were saved. It's as Paul says, we are being saved. We're constantly being saved. Now, as we look at this in the scripture, the Holy Spirit comes to us and we're told he comes to us in our temptation and sin. Now look here for a second. Better than I thought. In 1 Corinthians 10:13, it says this, There's no temptation you except what is common to man. But with every temptation, God will send to you a means of escape whereby you can bear up against that temptation. Now, this is the language of power. This is the language of the power of salvation. This is the presence of Christ. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. God's power will not allow you to be tempted above that which you're able. Now, you just stop and think of that for a minute. God's power is never going to let you be tempted in a way that is beyond the capacity that you have as a spiritual person to avail yourself of spiritual power to triumph over that temptation. Not only that, but he's saying he's going to provide a way of escape. Now, if you presented your body as a living sacrifice, 
Satan's going to throw many opportunities for you to be tempted to go left or right, up or down, as opposed to on the straight and narrow. And when this happens, we're promised the Holy Spirit is going to be there in times of temptation. You remember what Jesus said? There's going to come times when somebody's going to put you on the hot seat. Somebody's going to come and paint you into a corner. It has happened to me repeatedly. I'm sitting there. Now, there's two things that you know about me. Cars and a big mouth. (laughs) Guilty as charged. The scriptures say where there are many words, transgressions are unavoidable. I believe what Luther said, go and sin boldly. Now, when you're living that way, that means somebody is going to put you on the hot seat. What is going to happen? Well, Jesus said, they're going to put you on trial. They're going to be putting you before courts, before governors and whatnot. Don't worry about what you will say. The Holy Spirit will be with you and will give you words that are not your own so that you can testify appropriately. We see this in the life of Stephen. When Stephen was put on trial, we're told one thing about that trial. First of all, two things. One, he was full of the Holy Spirit, and when they looked on him, they saw him as having, as it were, the face of an angel. That's a very fascinating phrase, the face of an angel. You know, no one's ever looked at mine and said that. So uh, don't worry. I don't know that anyone said it about some of yours. but Stevens was like the face of an angel. What are we seeing here? He was given the power. He was given the words. It's the power of God unto salvation. In all of this, the power of God is causing us to mature. We're told that as we begin and as we follow, as we renew, as we you know, present our bodies over and over again as living sacrifices that we move from one degree of glory to another degree of glory as unto the Lord. In other words, he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Never going to be a a, a let up. Now you may want to take a vacation, but he's not going to let up even if you try to take a vacation. It just doesn't work that way. Paul in Romans 8, 13 and 14 And in verse 11, makes these kind of statements where he says, If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we call him Abba Father. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit. We are the children of God. This is the power of God unto salvation in your life. It will not ever stop. Jesus said to us in the Great Commission, go into the end of the world. What does he say next? 
I will always be with you. Go into the end of the world. I will always be with you. How is he always going to be with us? He's going to do this by his spirit. What does he tell us? Apart from me, you can. With me, all things are. That's, that's the, this is true spirituality. Now, there's some warnings. There's no real life power in the immoral and sensual pleasures of this world. So when Paul says in some verse like Colossians 3, 5 about these things, therefore you have to put these things to death, immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and greed, he's saying put them to death. Now I made an illustration once. You don't do it with a butter knife. You do it with a bayonet. That's how you put it to death. You don't play with it. And then you're to put all these things off. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. The idea is like of a garment. You take and you take and unbutton the garment. You let it slide off of your body. And you hang it up over here. And you say, I'm done with anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech and lying. And then on the other hand, we're to clothe ourselves with the encouragement that God has given us, he says, as beloved children of God and chosen, clothe yourself with all of these godly virtues. And so he begins to talk about patience. He talks about forbearance. He talks about humility. He talks about serving one another. He talks about charity and loving one another. And he's talking to us about making peace. Now, whenever those things are present, you see the power of Christ. I'm always telling ministers who call me up and they're in a, having a bad time. Sometimes some ruling elders, too, having a bad time in relationships. I'll say to them, you know what you need to do when you go to meet that person the next time? You need to call me up before you meet them. Really? Yep. Before you go meet that person, you call me up. What am I going to do when I call you up? I'm going to get your goat. What? I'm going to get your goat. Don't worry, I'll give you your goat back when the meeting's, when the meeting's over. But I just want the goat while you're in the meeting. What are you talking about? I says, if I got your goat, they can't get it. That sounds simple enough? That's simple enough? You don't want to be like this one little mother I had in Florida, Alabama. She used to talk about her three daughters. Here's what she said about them. She had a fit and fell in it. You want to be like that? No. But when we, when we work with one another and we, we help one another, it's the power of God for salvation. It's practical. It touches every dimension of our life. It's evidence that the Holy Spirit is working savingly in us. Let's pray. Father, help us and bless us and fill us with your Holy Spirit. We look around the world and we see if there's one thing this world needs, it's a great outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Uh, that we would see the risen Jesus Christ in each one of our lives. And others would see it. And for that, we would pray for us, 
for people all around this world that bear the name of Christ. We're weak. We don't have answers for all the things that are going on in this world, but you do, and it's us allowing your power to work powerfully in us. We know that's the answer. Help us not to look elsewhere, but to look to you to use us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.